Trending news right now. Looking at what's happened in social media now in the past uh, 24 hours, joining us is Atli Khang Malefe, social commentator. Atli, how are you today? I'm well, thanks. And how are you, Afanda? Um, I'm good. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's go straight to Israel now. Talking the new coalition government they uh, installed after Benjamin Netanyahu has lost uh, his election. So uh, we know that uh, the new government has a lot of plans. Uh, but what are the main plans then that uh, now, after this 12-year run of Benjamin Netanyahu, we'll see coming forward? Um, so part of his coalition is that he wants to mend a lot of relationships. The first one being that he wants to form a coalition with the Democratic Party in the United States and also as well as with the Jewish community. So he has a lot of plans in terms of trying to uh, form those coalition and transform and just make things better. Um, so we were definitely, I'm not going to say we're optimistic, but we just have to wait and see what happens because um, the previous minister has been in power for the longest time and he just now lost these elections by just a smaller portion of votes. So we are also anticipating change and hoping that the new government can also be very considerate of what has been currently happening between um, Israel and as well as Palestine and try to be more in- intrusive and also try to be more helpful with regard to that situation. So this new government of change being led by nationalist uh, Naftali Bennett, who has actually served under Netanyahu once as chief of staff and then uh, as defense minister. So if they've worked together, can mm. really uh, can Palestinians and Israelis expect a, a real change? Um, I doubt, but I think that just in terms of being optimistic, because, you know, every time when there's a new government, even if that person has served under a government who wasn't really um, caring in terms of assisting other people, um, I think that there is that level of optimism. Um, so it's similar to how within ZANU-PF, when one was removed, the other one was added, even though they served under, underneath someone else, everyone was, was very optimistic and thought that um, changes were going to be made. So I think just in terms of so far, those um, coalition strategies that he has, it also just creates some sort of optimism, um, even though we know that eventually those things are not going to happen. But I think for now, um, it's just that sort of optimism that people have. So uh, U.S. President Joe Biden congratulating Bennett on this. Uh, what, what are Palestinians saying? Um, they're all unhappy about it, but for the longest time, um, we've always known that the United States supports Israel over um, uh, the Palestinians, which is very sad because also as a hegemony, we would anticipate that you want to promote human rights and you, wa- you would want to fight um, human rights atrocities. But unfortunately, for the longest time, the United States has always taken a stand that they um, support um, Israel because even with um, when it was still Trump's administration, he used to say those things a lot. But I'm also very disappointed in the current U.S. president for doing those things because I think that part of his main goal is to also just to promote human human rights. But now it's it's just a, a bit skeptical in that regard because he's now supporting Israel more than he is supporting um, a Palestine. Okay, so Bennett then uh, wants uh, part of his reforms are education. Of course, that's always top of the agenda, health as well. But also he wants to cut red tape in terms of growing businesses and to lower housing costs. As a high-tech millionaire, it is kind of expected that he would tackle business, Mm. right? 
Definitely. Um, I think that also that's the biggest, uh, that's going to be the biggest downfall in a way, because when you have a president who's very um, economic driven to the extent that they're willing to compromise some of those basic necessities or the well-being of society, is that you're going to have a good economy, but also at the same time, that's not necessarily going to look at the well-being of the people, but more, uh, it's just going to look at the foreign policies and the sort of interactions you want to build, and also just wanting to be known in the global community without necessarily taking care of the well-being of the society. So that's my biggest concern with like having a minister or having um, a government that is very economic driven 49 years old he is i mean that's relatively young when we look at leadership his predecessor netanyahu who is 71 years old so how do we make of bennett's age 49 um i think 49 is also just it's not it's i think he can be able to um cater to both the young people and also old people because it's just in the middle um but I think that what we have to do for now is that even if we can create our own theories of what he's likely going to do or achieve, um, we'll just have to wait and see, unfortunately, because I, I think we're just going to get the shock of our lives. Mm. So, yeah. But I think everyone's top priorities, especially as a new government, is to make sure that those basic necessities like health and education are well taken care of. Um, but we just have to see if he's going to do anything differently from now. Okay, let's talk now why WBN Mutual Bank, SA's first women-owned bank, uh, it's kind of off a rocky start as public briefing descends into chaos. So many questions were asked and the responses that were given were not satisfactory to some. So when the Young Women in Business Network uh, was given the authorization to establish a mutual bank. A lot of black South Africans had high hopes. But now, after the press release and the questions being asked, uh, there's not that much excitement anymore. Well, not that there's no excitement. I think we're still trying to be positive. But there's quite a lot of questions that people are not quite understanding. One of them being how much it will actually cost in terms of a monetary contribution to establishing the bank. So they're saying... Uh, that they want the public to basically own shares in the in the bank, and there will be sort of a savings as well as a business loan, uh, whatever offering in in terms of that. So each share costing ten rand, and investors can buy a minimum of a hundred shares for one thousand, and a maximum of two hundred thousand shares for two million. I don't know if you know some of the questions that were posed and what your response would be, uh, at least in terms of how uh, the founder in Tabeleng Dikosi answered the questions. Um, so I think the biggest one was people just felt like it was um, a scam. At first, they were very optimistic about it and everyone was supporting her. But the moment she also started explaining how the whole process is going to work, then um, a lot of people were asking questions about, is this really a bank or is it a pyramid scam that is covered in a bank? Because also you are asking them for money to start the business itself. So that made a lot of people uncomfortable. And also even in terms of... The fact that they have now have to pay 10 rands because people will also see that and most of the time um, they that's, they don't usually have to pay that much money. Um, and so I think even the way in which she attempted to respond to the question, it was also similar to just saying that no, as a black community, as a black woman, it's, it is important for you guys to support me. So also it's like you, she was running on that narrative. And it, even though that narrative is good, but I also do think that she wasn't... Um, 
she was very disingenuous in terms of like responding to those questions because it was it sounded more like now you're asking people for money to start um, the entire business for the entire business to start off, but also at the same time you're not giving them that sense of security that they will get their money back and that this is just a form of investment. So hence, um, even when people are having this conversation on Twitter, it was centered around the idea that this sounds really like a pyramid scheme, meaning that. It's either we do um, put in money, but we're not going to get it back, or maybe we do put in money and then in the long run, it works out for us. So I think that kind of discomfort then is also just the one that's, uh, that now makes people not as optimistic and excited about really supporting this new bank, because to them, it now sounds more like a pyramid um, scheme. But, I mean, Dikos' vision was, I mean, she's explained that she wants to do things differently. She says that the YWBN Mutual Bank uh, wants the bank that understands small businesses. They want to tackle the informal sector. They want to also focus on spaza shops in the townships and make sure that South Africans can get those businesses back. So the mandate is different from the general bank. Why are we being so tough on her? Um, I think that also, um, and I think this happens a lot. It's like even if you're starting something different, especially from, um, and you know, a person from a minority group, like you're a black person or you're a woman, um, there's usually very people are usually very skeptical about it, um, because also the conception is that people want you to have a plan that's fixed, a plan that they can understand, a plan that is very much accessible. So I think that. For me personally, it's just about going back to the drawing board and making sure that the plan is accessible to its own target market. Like if you are saying that you are trying to be inclusive of people who own spaza shops, you're trying to be very much inclusive into like the black community or a black woman or any of that, then it is very important to make sure that even the plan that you have, even when you execute that plan, it's going to translate to the needs of the people in society that you're trying to reach out to. So I think people are being hard mm. because they don't understand exactly the vision. They don't understand the plan. And it is her, uh, her priority to make sure that she's able to create a plan that speaks mostly to their needs and that people are able to understand mm. how it's going to function. Let's take a short break. We'll continue with our trending topics here on Sound Awake. Trending news right now. Continuing our chat with Atlehang Mulefe, social commentator, discussing trending topics. And we were talking about the Young Women in Business Network, the press briefing, and the founder, Ntabeleng Dikotzi, responding to some uh, opposition, I guess, and questions around how this will work. It is a new concept, or fairly new, uh, in terms of the banking space. Uh, so maybe we just need to give it time and understand it uh, better. 17% Atlehang of the bank's shares will be owned by the general public. Uh, public members can purchase from just 1,000 rand from 1st to 30 June. So time is running out if you want to buy those shares. So 17% being owned by the general public and then 40% uh, of the bank being by the founding shareholders. But then the other question that was uh, brought forward was what do they bring to the table, the founding shareholders? And the response was that they are contributing an expensive letter. It has no value. What does that mean? Um, That's also my conversation that it it made people really do uh, conceptualize it as a pyramid scheme because if those um, if you're going to be a shareholder there, 
we had anticipated that they would have to, you know, pay more money and things like that. But when she started also just making it seem like um, she's going to need money from the public to be able to start the business, then that's when actually I started being also being very uncomfortable about what is exactly the purpose of this bank? Is it just a way of um, trying to do things differently or are they just going to take money from the public? Um, so it's very confusing. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's really confusing, even now. There's no banking license yet. Uh, there's still a risk that the South African Reserve Bank might not grant the license, even though they've given the permission for the bank to be registered, but the license is not there. So Dikotzi, the founder, appealing to black South Africans that uh, this was a risk worth taking. What can the ordinary South African do besides buying shares? And would they buy the shares if there's uncertainty about the license? Also, that, and also that's the thing. If you're going to start a FSP, you need money. There's a certain amount of money that you need for them to also accept um, the registration that you make. So now, how can you expect people then to pay into your bank if there's nothing at the moment? Like you don't even have a license to practice. Um, so it, it, it means that should anything happen, should things go sour, um, chances are they're not going to get their money back. So okay. it's a very risky, um, I think it's very risky at, at this at, at the moment. But let's just give it time and see how it's going to play out. Yeah. Uh, Koshin Karan, a popular social media commentator who comments on finance issues, also lent uh, their voice to this, asking about the membership fee. That was the thing that stood out there, the membership fee for 100 bucks. And they're saying that uh, it's the first time they've ever seen a non-refundable membership fee. Again, I guess, touching on what we're saying, it is a new concept. There is a different vision here. Maybe we should, we should just give it time. But anyway, Dikotsa did respond to this uh, Twitter user. Um, so I think that's also what I was talking about, that it is a new concept, but also she needs to be very accessible. But um, I, I also don't, just don't like the fact that every time when it has to be someone like her, then people are going to criticize every single thing and say, but this is not how it, it is usually done in society. But also the entire concept is to just change the way in which we we see things. And that's exactly what she's doing. So even the comments that he made, I mean, sure, it's, it's good. But also at the same time, I just really felt like we should um, give a space and time to also just try and execute a plan and also just to be able to execute a vision and maybe if things fail then that's when we can intervene and and like speak about it and have conversations about it but for now i think though it sounds shaky i still think that we need to give it the benefit of the doubt and just allow her to go ahead with this new plan and talking about the benefit of the doubt i mean the the bank not having branches and being a commercial bank uh, sorry and not being a commercial bank so it doesn't have branches but it's available digitally and also the two products being savings and business loans as well as number three investors automatically becoming co-owners of the institution do we think that she used the stock fell uh method notion yeah definitely as, as inspiration definitely. and we know stock files have worked for years they really have and that's what i'm saying that the problem with the concept is she's not trying so hard to be accessible to people because you can like make the the whole concept just it's just made complicated by those different things that it has but if you think about it this is literally just like 
a pyramid scheme or like maybe a stock fail. It's it's along those lines. She just needs to make sure that she tightens up the the concept and makes it accessible to people. If she does that, she's definitely going to get a lot of buy-in from those people. So making it accessible to people, do you feel like that could be one of the lessons taken from the example of VBS Mutual Bank, that black-owned financial institution that didn't make it? Definitely, uh, but also, and that's what also makes people uncomfortable because remember when that bank um, was just dissolved, people didn't get anything and that time you have invested your pension money and things just went sour. So I think now, especially as a black society, we're also very skeptical and scared to invest in such businesses or such banks because of um, what we think is going to happen in the long run. And because even when we do invest, people invest their pension money, people... Um, take out all their savings. So it's just a matter of making sure that now they opt into something that's going to work for them in the long run. The bank uh, selling 1 million shares within 72 hours of trading, that's a positive. So, I mean, South Africans are, as much as others are criticizing, maybe asking questions and being skeptical, but they are still, you know, being positive about this. Would you buy shares there? Mm, not, Not at the moment. You you feel like if maybe there was more time given, you'd have more time to think about it because it's until thirty June. Um, no, not not even. Is it? No, not even. Okay. Yeah, not at the moment. Yes. All right. Are you a rich auntie already? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not even. I'm still. I'm way young to be a rich auntie. <laughs> you can be a rich auntie in your twenties also as no, long as you have not, the money. Uh, not even. I don't think. You know, I don't think that's really. Yeah. Possible or no, not something that I want for myself now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's talk now. Hashtag Robert Marawa, who opened up about his struggle with COVID nineteen. So, he was in ICU uh, for some time. He spent a week there, but for three weeks he has his health uh, was de- deteriorating. And he's speaking about how he wasn't so sure that he wants to share this part of his journey publicly. Uh, but then he realized that you know if he shares the story, he could help to educate and perhaps even save someone's life. Uh, let's talk about that. Um, I think it's very uh, important and advisable that people who have gone through the process that they're able to come back and actually share their story and enlighten uh, members of society. Because I think we take it lightly as people because others are asymptomatic, so they don't go through um, all of those struggles and therefore they still go out and they, um, you know, and spread the virus, they infect other people without necessarily knowing that how um, someone else's immune system is going to handle um, the virus. I think sharing his story about how he literally spent a week in ICU and how bad things were at that time, um, I think it was also just a sort of enlightenment to say to people that even with the new, uh, with the third wave that we're approaching the third wave or we are in the middle of a third wave, it is still very important for people to take precautionary measures as opposed to constantly thinking that um, like they are just immune to the virus itself. So I think it was very important for him to share that, that story and also mm-hmm. just because our conception is that after 10 days, you'll be fine. But he actually just went the he just went through um, COVID for like three weeks, so it could even potentially be more. Um, and he was just going through a lot. So I think that story was very important to to be shared with the rest of society. Absolutely, and the message also is touching on how extremely important it is. He says that one seeks medical attention as soon as possible mm. instead of isolating at home while the symptoms continue to intensify because that's what he says saved him. He went to seek help as soon as possible. Um, but also people's biggest fear, because even now when I 
you know, talk to some of my colleagues and stuff, the conversation is that once you go to a hospital or once you maybe don't isolate, then the chances of you surviving if you go to a hospital, for example, especially if it's public, it's it's literally one out of ten chances. So I think that's also the reason why people would rather isolate and treat those symptoms at home as opposed to now seeking medical attention. But I also do think that that medical attention is important. And maybe if there was a way for even in public hospitals for people to call um, doctors and also just to get that assistance as opposed to having to go to the hospital, I think that could also work. Okay, also legendary radio and television presenter Mark P- uh, Pilgrim uh, revealing his uh, issue with testing positive for COVID-19 and he had cancer before, so uh, he, he needs to be monitoring his oxygen levels as well uh, and he's saying, you know what, we're going to fight this and he's em- em- emphasizing the power of positive thinking as well. Um, I think positive thinking is important in a situation like that because the moment you don't try to um, keep yourself um, positive about it, you're going to fall into a mental slump. And at, and as soon as you've hit that, then it's going to be very difficult for you to also focus on your own physical well-being as a person. Um, because as soon as your mental well-being is not taking care of and you're not as optimistic, then it makes it hard for you then to fight um, the virus, but I do think that it's important for people to be very optimistic about it, and for people to also do take precautionary measures to make sure that they protect themselves and that they protect those around them. Yes, all be safe. Okay, Vidbank Technical High School. Now, the last thing we're talking about: so racial tensions at this Mpumalanga school, which turned violent. The MEC of Education in Pumalanga suspending the school for a week to allow uh, a cooling off period. Satu also saying in Pumalanga that, uh, or Satu Provincial Secretary in Pumalanga saying that uh, racism is not new. It's not a new issue at this Vidbank Technical High School. Um, it's really not because also. Um, when we understand how things happen is that it started off with the students and then it, it boils down to the parents. So you can really see that there's always been a, a very common trend of racial tension in that school that hasn't been attended to. But even if it was attended to, it wasn't really dealt with. Because I think that it was just it, 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 like when there's racial tension, especially in a very uh, in a multiracial school and especially if it's b- between blacks, uh, uh, black students and as well as white students, then it simply shows that it has been going on for a long time where a particular race hasn't been particularly comfortable about what has been happening for the longest time. So I do think that even with regards to the suspension, their biggest concern was that they still want to make sure that students are given adequate education and that they can still um, get to write the the exams and things like that. So I do hope that it doesn't necessarily compromise um, the quality of education and it doesn't compromise the education of black students mostly. But I also do think that it's important to deal with the racial tension between the school because if we don't deal with the tension now then it's it's just going to be a common trend and something that happens um for the longest time yeah let's leave it there thank you so much for joining us atlehang enjoy your tuesday thank you so much asanda and same to you thanks atlehang a social commentator discussing trending topics here on sound awakening